Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who enjoy Christmas, and then there are Christmas people. If you're in that first category, you enjoy the holiday, you've got your traditions, but at this point in time, your tree is gone, the lights are down, the decorations are put away, right? It's 2024, you've moved on. If you are a Christmas person, though, your tree isn't coming down till at least Easter, and you can tell us right now how many days until the next Christmas. You don't just celebrate Christmas. You embrace all that over-the-top, extra-gaudy, cheesy Christmas culture. And if you're in that latter group, you probably have something somewhere in your home that says Jesus is the reason for the season. Christians like to put that on everything during Christmas time, and we fight back against anybody who would suggest that the holiday is about Santa or Frosty or Rudolph or John McClane from that uh, Christmas movie, we're not really sure it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> but if someone were to stop you and ask you today, who exactly is that Jesus? What would you say? Because I think a lot of our answers would be something about how Jesus is the son of God who came to earth, was born as a, as a baby, and then lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected three days later. And if we believe in him, then when we die, we can go to heaven and live forever and we don't have to go to hell. And that's a great stat line. That's an answer to the question, what did Jesus do for you? But that doesn't actually tell us who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? That's what we're diving into today. So let's pray and ask Jesus to reveal himself to us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in this new year. And as we come before your word, we just ask that you would meet with us today, that you would remove all distractions, and that you would come and meet with each and every one of us. And would you take a moment and just pray for yourself, wherever this week has taken you, ask God to meet you where you are. And then would you take a moment and pray for me that these would be God's words, not mine, and that they would be helpful to you. God, we've come to meet with you. We ask that you would meet with us, that you would encounter us, that when we leave here today, we would know you more and love you deeper than when we came in. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it up, turn it on. We are in John chapter one, verses 29 to 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I meant when I said, the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So we've been journeying through the Gospel of John, and up to this point, we've been looking at the big picture, the 30,000-foot level, if you will, of who Jesus is. Today, we're going to turn toward the second part of this series, and we're going to see all of that abstract nuance play out in day-to-day life. Notice that this passage begins with three simple words that can be easy to miss. The next day. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. If you jump ahead to verse 35, you'll notice it starts the same way. The next day, John was there again. In verse 43, it's the same thing. The next day. And chapter two begins by saying, on the third day. So we spent the past few weeks understanding Jesus as the word, who was with God and who was God, who became flesh and who dwelt among us. Now, what does that look like in Jesus' everyday life? Over the next few weeks, each week we'll be exploring one of these days and we'll be journeying with Jesus day by day. And today is day one, so let's dive in. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, the first question I have is why is John baptizing? Think for a moment about a baptism service. What questions do we ask at a baptism service? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life? And is it your desire to walk with Jesus from this day forth for the rest of your life? But at this point in time, there is no concept of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no walking with Jesus. There has been no death or resurrection, no great commission. Jesus has not begun his earthly ministry yet. So why is John baptizing? He tells us in verse 31, the reason I came baptizing with water was that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. John's purpose, the entire reason he's calling on people to repent and be baptized is to pave the way for Jesus. Think about a concert. You go to a concert Do you go for the opening act? No. Unless you're personal friends with the artist, nobody goes to concerts for openers. You go for the main event. John the Baptist is the opening act. His job is to pave the way for the main event, for Jesus. But here's the crazy thing. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born to a woman. Jesus' opening act is the greatest man ever born to a woman. Imagine going to a concert today where the opening act is Taylor Swift or Beyonce. Right? All of us would have the same question. Who would Taylor Swift possibly be opening for? Who would you have to be for Beyonce to open for you? And that's the same question that we have here. Who would you have to be to have the greatest man ever born to a woman open for you. Who exactly is this Jesus? This is the central question of our faith. And John gives us a clear answer in verse 34. 
I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Other manuscripts suggest that John may have been more specific, that this is the son of God. So who is Jesus? The son of God, God's chosen one. So what does that mean? Remember, at this place in time, John is writing primar- speaking primarily to people of the Jewish faith. And in their faith and tradition, uh, they've been waiting for generations and centuries for a savior, but not any savior, for the savior, the Messiah, who will save them from their sin. And every year, they would sacrifice a lamb for the atonement of their sins. And they would do this for generation after generation and century after century until such a time that the Messiah would come. So in verse 29, John uses the verbiage of a lamb that takes away sin. And that makes perfect sense to his audience. But this isn't any lamb. Because in Jewish tradition, a lamb would atone for the sins of a household. But John introduces Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not another sacrificial lamb. There is not a lamb that can take away the sin of the world unless this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Jesus is it, the Messiah, God's chosen one, and he is here. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic gospels, because they share many of the same stories with each other, but different stories from John's gospel. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a conversation that helps illustrate this. Jesus asked his disciples who people say he is. And Peter replies, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Jesus then turns the question to his disciples, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter gives the same answer that John gives here. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Consider the stark contrast between Peter and John's response and the answers that others provided. That list of people that the others thought Jesus might be is an outstanding list. John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born to a woman. Elijah, one of only two people, the Bible tells us, walked so closely with God that he didn't die, but God brought him up to heaven. The prophet Jeremiah, a prophet who led the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. These aren't just great people. These are the best of the best. They are heroes of the faith. If we've erected a a Mount Rushmore today with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, and any one of us got offered that fourth spot, we would be flattered, humbled, and wholly undeserving, but if any of us were mentioned in the same breath as those other three, it would be absolutely humbling, but not for Jesus. What Peter and John understood is that Jesus isn't even in the same category as those other three. God used each person on that list to do great things. He used every single person on that list to bring blessings to his people, to bring guidance and deliverance to his people, to bring his word to his people, but not Jesus. Jesus did not come to bring us guidance. He never says, follow me and I'll show you the way. No, Jesus says, follow me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't come to bring us eternal life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus did not bring us the word of God. He is the word that was with God and was God and then came and became flesh and dwelt among us. It's easy 
to recognize and respect Jesus' greatness. I mean, this is the guy that fed the 5,000, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, but it is wholly different to awaken to the reality that Jesus is God's chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is not deserving of our respect, but of our worship. And when we see Jesus for who he truly is, we move beyond respect to worship. So how can we know Jesus? How does John know that Jesus is the Messiah? He tells us in verse 34, he says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This isn't simply something he's read about, he's heard about, something that he studied. John has witnessed and experienced God. That's how he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. So what did John see? What did he experience? Verse 32, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So we see two things that God does here. First, God speaks to John. God tells John, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So God tells John who and what to look for. And then secondly, he shows John. He follows up his word with action. So God tells John that the Messiah is the one on whom the Spirit will descend and remain. And then John sees it happen. Verse 32, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. God speaks to us and then he shows us. This pattern of God speaking and showing is consistent throughout the scripture. In Genesis 1, at the creation of the world, God said and it was so. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is recounting the prophecies and the law that God gave his people and he says that his coming is the fulfillment of those words spoken by God to his people. And at the core of our series here, John 1, he is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. God's word is not just a spoken word, but it becomes a tangible reality. And when we see and experience the fulfillment of that word, we go from knowing of God to actually knowing God. There's an interesting dichotomy here because in verse 31, John says, I myself did not know him, Jesus, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. But remember, John and Jesus are cousins. So what does he mean that he doesn't know Jesus? Now, I know we all have like that cousin in the family that we're not really sure why they're there, like they're kind of weird or there's like a family feud of some sort and we're not really sure where they came from or why they show up. But that's not what's going on here. Of course, John knows Jesus as his cousin, even as somebody who's great and worthy of respect, but not as the Messiah, the Son of God, God's chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when John baptizes Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, just as God said would happen. In that moment, John experiences God and the fulfillment of his word. And he goes from knowing cousin Jesus to knowing Jesus Messiah. From knowing about God to actually knowing God. 
because there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. I have a friend who's famous. People recognize him. They have opinions about him. Uh, some people love him, some people hate him. But anytime people find out that we're friends, I get the exact same question. What is he like in real life? Because we all know that there's a difference between knowing of someone or about someone, even being a fan of someone, and actually knowing that person. Here's the thing, knowing Jesus, seeing and experiencing Jesus is not dependent on our circumstances. In John 9, we read about Jesus restoring sight to a blind man. And the, the religious leaders of the time, they're trying to defame Jesus. And so they tell all these lies about him to this man. And he says, look, I don't know what you're yapping about, but, but here's what I do know. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In receiving God's blessings, this man's eyes were opened, both literally and figuratively and spiritually. And he meets Jesus. And at the end of the book of Job, after Job endures such intense suffering, he says to God, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Amid all of his suffering, from his illness to losing all that he owned, to losing all his children, to his wife and his best friends abandoning him, through all of that, Job sees and experiences God. The one who was healed and received God's blessings and the one who suffered had the same response. Now I see. Because whether in blessing or in suffering, God is present. And when we experience him, our lives are transformed. In my early childhood, I grew up poor, not middle class, poor. There's a few years that we lived below the poverty line and the years we didn't, we hovered right above it like we were afraid it was gonna run away or something. And uh, during those years, my sister outgrew her shoes as kids do and uh, we didn't have money to buy her new ones. My father had been out of work for two years and so my sister knew this and just didn't say anything to my parents. And she kept wearing these shoes even though they hurt her feet until finally the shoes started to fall apart. They actually started to break apart and she finally told my parents that she needed new shoes. And so my mother told her, said, yes, we'll get you new shoes. The, the next time there's a sale at Kmart, we'll go find you new shoes. And then she saw a teaching moment and she challenged my sister, why don't you go to God with your needs? Why don't you tell God about it? And not too long after that, we got a check in the mail from a friend at the church. And in the memo line, it just said, for shoes. Now, we haven't told anyone about this. We, nobody else outside of our family knew that my sister needed shoes. But the Bible tells us that God says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And in that moment, my family got to see and experience Jesus. Now, we've always known about him, right? I'm a pastor's kid. My parents teach about Jesus. But 30 years after the fact, my sister can tell that story like it happened yesterday because she experienced God's provision. Now, notice God's response was not to pull my family out of poverty or to just drop a new job into my dad's lap. 
Because God's purpose for us is never for us to live long and prosper, but for us to see, to know, and to experience Jesus. And that is what it means to embrace true life. So God speaks and then he shows us. And when we see and experience him, we can know Jesus for who he truly is. But John has a role to play in all this, and so do we. We have to obey. When Jesus came to John to be baptized, John initially pushes back. Matthew shares this account. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And it's only when Jesus insists that John backs down and agrees to baptize him. And it's when Jesus comes up from the water that John witnesses the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. We move from knowing about God to knowing God when we obey him. John had to obey Jesus in order to experience God. If John continued to refuse, he would have missed all of this. It's only when he obeys that he has a front row seat to witnessing and experiencing the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our obedience to God is a litmus test in Scripture. In Joshua, when God is leading the Israelites into the Promised Land, they get to the Jordan River and God promises, I'm going to part the waters of the Jordan and you will cross on dry land. And he does. But the priests have to step into the waters first. And when they do, they experience God. Contrast Joshua's obedience with what we see in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a widow, and according to the traditions of their time, she is to marry someone that the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer. But the kinsman redeemer is not willing to marry Ruth. He's afraid that he'll lose his own legacy and wealth if he marries her. So he refuses, and she marries Boaz instead. And unbeknownst to Boaz, through that marriage, he marries into the genealogy of King David and of Jesus. And as for the man who refused, he misses it all. The Bible doesn't even record his name. God continues to speak today. He speaks abundantly to us through his word. The question is, do we obey? In that conversation where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? After they give some answers, he turns the question to them directly and asks, who do you say that I am? Like then, we live in the world today that has a lot of opinions about Jesus. If you ask 10 people, you might get 10 different answers. But that question is posed to us directly. Who do you say that Jesus is? Here's a few steps we can begin taking this year to help us truly know Jesus. Number one, seek to know Jesus himself. We must desire Jesus. There's a story in the Bible about how Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. He heals 10 lepers and only one comes back to say thank you. The other nine were eager to receive his blessing and could spare Jesus no second thought once they got the blessing. Are we not often like that other nine? We say that the greatest Christmas gift of all time is salvation. That when we die, we can go to heaven. That we don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven and live forever. But the destination is not the gift. The gift 
is Jesus? There's a simple question we can ask ourselves that shows if we desire Jesus. John introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you want to be forgiven of your sin? Or do you only want to be forgiven of the penalty of your sin? Because if it's the latter, then you don't desire Jesus. You just desire his blessings. And to you, Jesus is just a church version of Santa Claus. Second, we can choose listening to and obeying God. Any counselor or therapist will tell you that a relationship where one person only ever speaks and never listens is not a healthy relationship, nor one that's gonna last. So why do we take that approach with God and expect to know him more? We're so busy sometimes that our prayer lives often resemble that kid that sits on Santa's lap and just rattles off a wish list. John would never have experienced Christ as he did if he did not obey and listen, obey and baptize Jesus. But how can we obey what we do not know? So here's something we can practice as we move into the new year. Open God's word. Maybe you need a Bible reading plan. So as we launch 2024, we put two Bible reading plans in the Faith Church app. One that will help you read through the New Testament this year. And one that will help you read through the entire Bible in a year. And there are additional uh, resources for Bible reading on the resource page of our website. But every day, read a small portion of the Bible. And before you do, just ask God to speak to you through his word. And when you're done, just sit. You don't have to say anything. Just sit there and let God's word sink into your life. And then obey. I know there's parts of scripture we don't understand. That's okay. Start with the parts we do understand. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Honor your mother and your father. Start there and see if God does not show up in your life. Because the Bible is not just some collection of beliefs and morals. Grace, mercy, love, hope, forgiveness, it's all Jesus. And when we engage and obey the Bible, we encounter Jesus. Finally, when you experience Jesus, testify. Know this in verse 34, John says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. When Jesus drives out a legion of demons and that possess this one man, he begs to go with him. And Jesus says to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The next verse says, so the man went away and began to tell how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, she's been living a life of sin and shame. And after she meets Jesus, she openly tells everyone of her sin, not because she's proud of it, but because she's met Jesus and she can't contain it inside anymore. When you experience Jesus, do not keep it to yourself. Share it with your family, your friends, your small group, your colleagues. If you don't have someone to share it with, go to guest services, go to our prayer works, share it with our team there. But whatever you do, do not keep it to yourself. 
Imagine a wedding where the toast doesn't mention the bride or groom. Or a eulogy where the, the eulogy doesn't mention the deceased. We'd all walk away with the same question. Why was that person chosen to give the toast or give the eulogy? Imagine claiming to know Jesus and not testifying to who he is. Do you really know him? But when we share, when we testify, the entire family of God grows and God gets all the glory. There's a famous scene in the iconic Christmas classic, Elf. If you haven't seen Elf, it's about the baby, Buddy, uh, who is adopted by elves. And when he discovers his origins, he decides he's going to go find his biological father. And so he heads to New York City to look for him. And in this scene, uh, he's dressed like an elf and he's in a department store. And so he's mistaken as one of the store workers during the holidays. And so he gets roped into this, this store employee meeting and the manager comes and says, Santa's coming. And Buddy loses it, right? Santa, I know him. And everyone's looking at Buddy like he's lost his mind. Like, yeah, no kidding. We all know the big man in the red suit. Calm yourself. And Buddy doesn't care. Santa's coming? I know him. I know him. Here's the irony of that entire movie. Buddy's the only one that's not crazy. Because he really does know Santa. And when he finds out Santa is coming, he cannot contain his joy. A lot of us walked in here today knowing about God. A lot of us walked in here today following Jesus' teachings, believing Jesus, maybe teaching about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? God is speaking to us and showing us. We just have to listen and obey. And when we do and we experience Jesus, you won't be able to contain it. If we accomplish nothing else this year, may we be a church that knows Jesus and testifies to what we know. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we confess that so often we make this about us. God, as we walk into the new year, would you help us see you day by day, week by week? Would you help us see you and experience you? And would you help us testify to who you are, to our neighbors, to our friends, our family, to the world? May we know you more, may we love you more, and may we shine for you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.